Hi, Ace here. Today's pre-Thanksgiving episode is an encore presentation to help put the holiday in perspective. I hope it brings your awareness of good fortune to the forefront, gratitude for the gifts you have, and empathy for those who are less fortunate. On behalf of Jim, Matthew, and the entire financial sobriety team, have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. I believe there is no reason that we don't have enough homes for kids and enough support for all the families. I believe we can do this. I look around and I say, we have the resources, we have the hearts. People don't know. And I talk to people and I meet people like you guys. As soon as we have a conversation, you're like, how can I help? So then I care, but what is my avenue? What do I have to give? And that's where I say, then what's in your hands? What is financial sobriety? Well, first, I'm Jim Gebhardt. Oh, I'm Matthew Grishman. That's good. We should introduce ourselves. And this podcast is all going to be about three relationships that really, when you stop and you think about them, you don't think they go together. But it's your relationship you have with money. It's the relationship you have with people who mean the most to you. And ultimately, the relationship you have with yourself. So I might imagine that those three relationships are somewhat wrapped together. That when one gets a little out of whack, perhaps it has an effect on the others. Stick around and you'll find out. Good morning. Good morning. Is it morning still? Yeah, for the most part. Wow. I feel like I've had the the military. I've done more by 9 a.m. than most people do all day. That's the beauty of having East Coast family for us every morning. East Coast family, East Coast clients, East Coast CPA, East Coast, uh, yeah. We've had a food theme on the show for a while now. Isn't it almost lunchtime at 10 o'clock? It is, but I don't think we're doing tacos today. I think we're doing salads today. Okay. So I'm curious. What are you grateful for today? Whew, that is, how much time do we have? All the time we need, brother. Yeah, I am eternally grateful for my relationships. Those mean more to me than anything I could possibly, possibly ever imagine. Mm. Whether it's family, whether it's our CPA, whether it's my childhood friend from kindergarten who we're helping now as a client, my parents, our oldest not our oldest daughter. Our second daughter just turned 18. So as I like to lightheartedly say, she's emancipated. <laughs> uh, far from off the payroll, <laughs> right. but emancipated. Our oldest son just turned 15. Wonderful. As you and I would say, you know, the people that are the closest to you are your family. And yeah. we don't live near a lot of family. Yeah. But we had a family birthday party on Friday night for Jack. Oh, nice. That was most of our closest friends who could mm. make it. And it was beautiful. It was just, it was absolutely beautiful. So that's what I'm grateful for today. It's a long, it's a very long list. That's awesome, dude. But relationship is is always where it's at for me. We've talked so much about the connection that has been missing. Yeah. Right? And I think so often there has been beautiful ways of being able to connect with people even though you're not physically with them. And I feel very connected with our audience. I feel very connected with our financial sobriety community even though we haven't met most of them. I just, I feel a connection to them too. So feeling lots of love and gratitude today. How that's, about, that's how, awesome, dude. How about you? <laughs> yes, thank you. Boy, kind of like you, my gratitude is, is abundant this morning. I'm feeling a lot of it. I am super grateful for what we were talking about this journey that you and I have been on together for the last 16, coming up on 17 years. Oi. Uh-huh. I am so grateful. It's three dog years. That's it, it's two and a half. Yeah, two and a half. Yeah. So we're still we're still puppies. But 
you have taught me how to sit and how to beg and how to roll over. I haven't done any of that. Oh. You, you, you've done it all. <laughs> you've done that. I'm grateful for this intentional way of living and, and how, how my life seems every day to get a little bit more intentional and a little less haphazard. It seems like there's less stuff that's happening to me and a lot more that's happening for me. As you've helped me strengthen this muscle of saying no, of saying no more, to the point that I got to write about it in Financial Sobriety. The yeah, fact you that you wrote a book about it, I think. Yeah, and the fact that you and I have sat here and talked about it, that was really, really hard for me, but I also knew that that was going to be the key to living a more intentional life. And by saying no more, some of the things that I've had to say no to has been people in my life. We've talked a lot about the people who bring us great amounts of energy and the people who suck the life out of us and suck the energy out of us. And as I've gotten better at not needing to be liked by everyone, not needing so much of what I used to need, the recognition, the, the pats on the back, all of those things to make me feel whole. As I've learned to say no more to needing those types of things, what has happened is new people, new experiences have started showing up in my life, new intentional experiences. And I'm so incredibly grateful for those people who've come into my life over these last 15 years. In fact, one of them is with us here today. In fact, I heard some giggling as you were sharing your gratitude in my ears a little bit. This female voice, this mysterious female voice was giggling on the microphone as, as you were sharing. And I am just so grateful that because of this journey we're on, the way we're living intentionally, I got to meet this person not that long ago, but I feel like I've known you forever. Heidi White is here with us in studio today. Heidi is one of the directors for the Alliance Defending the Cause of Kids and Families. And how we met was really cool. You and I, first of all, I want to say thank you for being here today. It's thank awesome. Thank you for having me. It's awesome yeah. to have you here. And I guess before we get into any more of like how we met and what we're going to talk about today, what are you grateful for today, Heidi? There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to stop you, but you, you did it. That's a great question. I love that you guys start out with that. There's so much to be grateful for. I think even in what you were saying, we're so similar, um, Jim, and just that we're created for connection, right? And so like, as I think about what I'm grateful for, I think so much of it is relational. Like I think of the people in my life, like what are we without the people around us, mm -hmm. with the people who that are in our lives that add value to us, that speak life. And I just think I'm just so grateful for my family and friends and the people that I get to interact with every day. And even sitting around this table this morning and getting to hear a little bit more about you guys and what you guys do and just getting to be here with you. I'm just grateful. And even waking up and saying it's a new day. Like I have breath in my lungs. I have, it's a blue sky. Like I have legs that walk. Like I think sometimes we just take for granted our bodies that do what they were designed to do. Our hearts that pump blood are, you know, just all the things that we just don't always think about. It's good to pause and say, I'm grateful just that I can have breath today and that I have the relationships that I have today and for all of those things. And so, yeah, I'm grateful, grateful to be here, grateful to be with you guys. And thank you for leading us in that gratitude because I need to be reminded of that too. You know, it's, I think, shifting our mindset at the beginning of each day and even throughout the day, yeah. especially with the world as it is now, it's so easy to look at what is wrong yes. <laughs> and broken and and just feel overwhelmed. But well, there's so much that's going right, you know? That's part of why this gratitude exercise is so powerful. 
and yeah. what I'm grateful for because it allows us that first step toward living more intentionally in our mm-hmm. day. And we get to use it throughout our day. I mean, it's something that, Jim, you taught me long, long time ago that you do at home with the family, and we started doing it with clients in our office. And we, we've talked about that here. So it's just, it's one of those things that throughout the day, as we yeah. start seeing things happening to us, we can pause for a moment, mm-hmm. think about some gratitude, express some of that gratitude, and all of a sudden, it flips the script, and now these things are happening for us, which is just yeah. such a more beautiful way to approach the world. There's actually a chemical cascade that happens when you go into gratitude mode, mm-hmm. and certainly I can't speak to it. There's plenty of studies on it. I'm trying to remember one of the schools in Ohio that has done clinical research on the chemical cascade that happens when you flip into gratitude mode. Mm-hmm. And you can't have you know darkness and lightness in the, in the room at the same time. That's the beauty of gratitude and why we mm-hmm. absolutely love going through this exercise with clients because yeah. it clears the decks on whatever the day has been. Yeah. And as you were that's describing so kind of the state of the world today, I have my mom in my head going, you know, that's just a heavy. Yeah. Yeah. That was always her blanket statement for, you know, a difficult situation. That's just a heavy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the world feels very heavy today. You know, the world just feels super heavy. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's out of control, and it feels like we have no control, but yet I think the gratitude exercise is so powerful because it does clear the deck mm-hmm. and and let you, the big you, us, us yeah. start fresh and not take stuff for granted. Yeah, and it gives back to that. It's empowering. Very right? empowering. So it's you like, I'm, feeling... not, I'm not helpless. I'm not hopeless. Yes. Like, I'm empowered because yeah. I can look at what is going right, and I can say, but there are these things, and I can identify even like, in what I do, which we'll talk about, like you see the helpers and you see the, you might see what is going wrong, but you see even the doctors and the nurses who are serving. And it, it's empowering because you see the light and the darkness. You're right. describing light and darkness, right? Yes. So you see what is light. And I think when we see that, we're inclined towards it. And then it just shifts our, our hearts and our minds. And we're more inclined to act in that way, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, part of my gratitude is our new friendship that is just Mm -hmm. budding from a very beginning. It's so cool how you and I met. Mm -hmm. It's so cool. And and it comes from, I think, both of us living a bit more intentionally and saying yes to the things that bring us great amounts of joy and being able to use our voice, being able to use the skills and talents we've been blessed with and that we work very hard to further. And we came together with a little local TED Talk group. Mm-hmm. Here in Sacramento, we have a TEDx group out of Folsom, and you and I met for the first time in the room. And let me tell you, Heidi, when you got up and rehearsed your story in front of us for the first time, and I don't know if you remember, I think you were the third person to go. The first two people that were rehearsing, I was taking lots of notes because that was kind of our job that day, right? To help one another build our talks for this upcoming TED Talk event, prepare our notes for the TED event, I remember taking lots of notes with the first two speakers because I felt like there were some things that I could help them with. And then when you started talking, I stopped taking notes and you Mm -hmm. just sucked me in and immediately had me thinking in my head, oh my, I want to help Heidi and her mission Mm -hmm. and what she's trying to do. How can I, with my resources and my network, help Heidi further her cause with what you are doing with the Alliance? And you just... You got me. And the very first thing I thought about was, Jim, we got to bring her here. We got to bring her in studio. Because if if this whole program, if this whole platform and what we're talking about is truly about being more intentional 
in these three kind of sticky relationships we have, right? Our relationship with money, mm-hmm. our relationship with people, our relationship with self. I'm even going to throw in a fourth relationship that just hit me. Food? That could be a fifth. <laughs> oh, okay. Our relationship with time and how we allocate that time. That's good. And when I thought about my relationship with money and being more intentional with my time and my money and the people in my life, your story sucked me in. Mm -hmm. I want to invest time, money, resources in what you're doing. How much longer do I have to wait around for hearing her story? Oh. I mean, are you just going to like make the whole show about nothing? How we met? Oh, that's Seinfeld. Sorry. That's a Seinfeld (laughs) show. I was the only one in the room that day. Share with us... What is the Alliance? What does the Alliance do? The Alliance is a nonprofit. So we're in the Sacramento region, and we cover the greater Sacramento region. Okay. And so basically the goal is protecting kids and strengthening families. And so we are a bridge network, and so we're over 50 nonprofits, businesses, organizations, churches who work in some way to protect kids and strengthen families. And so there's everything from prevention, intervention, and support. And so intervention would be what we talked about at TED, which is foster care, foster care and adoptions. Because foster care, if you look at something like the house that's on fire, like if kids don't have families today, that house is on fire. Like grab a hose, like all hands on deck. What we would call triage. Triage, triage, right. So like I, when I present often, like that's my main thing. But then there's prevention, which is like, if we can keep families strong so they don't fall apart, wouldn't that be a win? If we can prevent families, and so there's prevention, and there's Single Mom Strong is a nonprofit we work with. Like, there's families, ha- family strengthening happening in the community. And then there's support, like mentorship, CASA, like how do we actually come around and support the families? So there's, there's a whole spectrum of ways that you can help keep families strong. And so it's vulnerable kids and families is the concept. So any family that is at risk of falling apart, because you've heard that term, a lot of times people will say at-risk youth. Yeah. So there's at-risk kids and families, right? Vulnerable kids and families. But foster care is specifically something um, that's in my heart. And foster care is specifically what I was speaking on. And Ted and, and, and what I do is I do education and church relations at the Alliance. And so basically I work to mobilize churches in the community. And so that's saying like, hey, there's a whole group of people who have hearts to go do good in their community. And so how do we mobilize them to serve in the nonprofits? And to train them as foster families and get them equipped. And then how do we educate the community with trauma training and just like help them have the tools that they need to succeed as families? Because half of the families will quit in the first year, unfortunately, with foster Mm. families because it's challenging. Trauma is hard. Half of the families who foster foster quit in the first year. Wow. That's a staggering number. I am interested to hear your definition of at risk, at risk youth at-risk families. Yeah, so... To unpack that a little bit. Yeah, at-risk. We usually use vulnerable. I was saying at-risk just to, like, give a... If yeah. people haven't heard, but vulnerable or at-risk yeah. is basically families who are vulnerable to basically falling... to not staying together. Okay. Or if a child is going to end up in foster care or a, a family, like, let's say there's a, a, a single-parent home where they're... They, without the support of the community, they're not going to make it if that makes sense. Like they need the support of the community. So if they had like a single mom, let's say who, for example, maybe there's a single mom who, if she has an appointment or she has a surgery and she's a single mom who has no support around here, her family lives let's Somewhere say, in else. New York. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, where do her children How does she, yeah. go? Right. But if there's a community who can wrap around, so there's even like, there are groups like that who will help prevention wise 
a family like that, like Safe Refuge, who will come around and help. You can voluntarily say, hey, I just can't. I don't have the support. Can you take where they don't end up in foster care? Sure. So there's prevention like that. So that yeah. would be like a vulnerable child, a vulnerable family. Yeah. But family who's saying like, if we don't have the support of our community, we're not going to make it. We won't succeed. That's what a vulnerable family is. And that can look wow. like a various different things. It can look. I know families that have lots of struggles. Mm-hmm. It strikes me as a very courageous parent to raise their hand and say, we're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. And I I wonder how people do that. I mean, do uh, the bravery that it would take as a parent to say, raise their hand and say, we need, need help. help. We're not going to make it. The ship is sinking. Yeah. That to me sounds like an extraordinary ask. Oh, yeah. Do you find that it's more observation from the community that, oh, we might have a, a fire over here that needs some triage based on the observation that we're seeing in the community. I, I, yeah. I'm just curious yeah. well, you, yeah. you, What you beautifully teed up is the question I was thinking is uh, yeah. right before you said that, which is how do you, as the alliance, how do you identify yeah. those families in need? Is it self-select? Do they raise their hand? Or do you have a way of uncovering who these vulnerable families and children are in the community? That's a great question. So we have nonprofits that we work with that do work in the communities, and so they, they're the ones who identify them. So they work with them, and we support the nonprofits. So we support them. We send volunteers to them. We Our goal is to unify the nonprofits, to mobilize the community into serving into the nonprofits, to equip the community that are serving vulnerable kids and families. And so, but also to the question of like, so how do they, how do they then, would be the next question, like yeah. identify them, is that some will self-identify. I've talked to some, and I do community interviews. And so I, I had a woman I interviewed who did actually self-identify to CPS saying, I can't handle my own kids. I'm like, I need help. I need tools. I need, which is a very rare and very brave thing to do. Very C- brave. C- CPS, to Child CPS. Protective they, Services. Yeah, and they didn't take her children. They gave wow. her they gave her the resources she needed. It's amazing. Like the goal is actually to keep families together. But that's a rare thing. I would say other than that, a lot of times it is, there is an event that happens or something, sure, some, you know, where something, some, some some event that triggers yeah. a kind of a bottom, a rock bottom, where you're like, okay, I, I now I need to ask for help. But also, hopefully, like if we're in the communities and we can say, hey, there, these nonprofits are there, and they're saying, hey, here's these tools, here's these classes, here's these resources, whatever the resources might be. It might be for addiction. It might be for, you know, maybe they need. We do backpack drives. We just did one. You know, we do whatever the resources might be. And if they're presenting it to them, then. It doesn't have to come with that shame of like, hey, like our house is burning down. Right. And I'm, but, yeah. But yeah, hopefully, that's the bravery, right? Is to yeah, is to set the shame aside and go, oh, no, no, I need, we need help here. Right. And so hopefully they they can it can be presented in a way where they can receive services and still also maintain their dignity, if that makes sense. Although even even at that point, it still takes a tremendous amount of courage. Yeah. But I've seen because. Because it's that that mama bear thing that, you know, the mom who lifts the car. When when a parent is in danger of losing a child, the amount of courage that raises up in you to do whatever is necessary. Superhuman. Is superhuman. And so I've seen, I mean, sometimes, yeah, it doesn't happen. And that's why we have a lot of the problems that we see. But it does happen also. And that's why we have the resources available. So that when, when that person does have the courage to say, I need help, that there is somebody on the other end to say, I will help. That's incredible. I mean, that's, that, that's like the ultimate expression of unconditional love for a parent to put at risk their ability to keep their child with them by raising their hand and saying, I need help. I mean, that that is so putting 
your child ahead of your own needs to be with your child. I mean, that the, the, the level of courage that comes right. from doing that is awesome. That's huge. You shared something in our rehearsals that blew me away. And, and mm-hmm. I, I want to focus on foster youth in particular for a minute. Yeah. You just mentioned in your gratitude about Grace's 18th birthday. Yes. That you got to celebrate. Yes. Mm-hmm. Lucas, my youngest son. Within days. Within days I of think Grace's to birthday. Be exact. Yeah. Also turned 18. Yeah. And, and it was just this wonderful celebration. And, and I'll speak for both Grace and Lucas in that these are two young adults who were really looking forward to the freedom that comes with turning 18. Yeah. The fact that they could drive past 11 o'clock now, the fact that they could actually transport <laughs> friends of theirs in their car with them. I mean, and, and just the, the, the responsibility. Buy a lottery ticket. That's they, what I was thinking. They, there you go. Ooh. <laughs> can gamble now. Ooh, I forgot. The kids can buy lottery tickets for us now. That's yeah. awesome. I for think, you. I think Grace. I think <laughs> yeah, of course. Grace, it's always for us. Always. I think she was buying a lottery ticket on Saturday. I, I forget exactly. But. Nice. Well, I just there's all these really exciting things we get to do as adults now. And what absolutely stopped me in my tracks Hmm. was seeing that through the eyes of a foster youth Hmm. approaching their 18th birthday and how differently they see the world. Yeah. Like around our country, there's 23,000 youth who will age out of our foster care system annually. So every year that happens around our country, 23,000 children every year will age age out out of foster care. And let me explain what that means. Aging out means they hit 18 and then they don't, they're they're like done with the system. So like all of a sudden they have no safety net. So like when, like for them, like everything that was like a connection, and we talked about how important relationships are, we're created for connection, is gone. And so all their safety nets are gone. So for them, it's a death sentence. It's not something to celebrate. It's all of a sudden, it's who do I put down as my emergency contact? Like I just got this new job and I have to fill out this paperwork and I don't even have a human to put down if I, you know, fall and get hurt at work. Or like, who do I call if I blow a tire out on the freeway? Who do I call? Like, where do I go for Christmas? That is one that I've talked to so many youth who, like, devastated of where do I go for Thanksgiving? Like, not having a place to land to go home to. And and for so many of them, that's what 18 feels like. Oh, dear. God wow. almighty. And what happens? I mean, what, what happens to so many of those children when they turn 18 and they realize that death sentence? What are you seeing Oh, statistically? Happen? Yeah. What are you seeing happen? Oh, yeah. 50% develop a life-controlling addiction, like of youth that age out. 60% 60% of, of minors who are trafficked come from the foster care system. So if you want to talk about, like, you end up on the street, just the cycle that happens. So if you want to talk about how sex trafficking is tied to all of this, like, a lot of our issues in society, when you look at, like, homelessness, drug addiction, imprisonment, sex trafficking, like, the direct correlation to foster care, like, is undeniable. Like it's all twenty percent of them immediately will become homeless at that mark where at they that, age at out. That, at that eighteenth yeah. birthday, Heidi, right. this ain't this ain't a death sentence. This is worse. This is worse. I mean, in in some cases, death might be easier than what you're describing right now. This is worse. The overwhelming flood of emotions that I'm that I'm feeling. I mean, you you said twenty three thousand, and the little town that I live in is just a snitch more than that. So I have this visual of this entire town that I live in being 18-year-old adults, young adults, who have no sense of hope. That's it. And to me, my dear friend Glenn and I have spoken quite 
quite a bit about this concept, never, never in the context of an 18-year-old. But he's gone through some very dark days with health challenges, and when, when hope wasn't present, mm. that was worse than death for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just, I, I'm speechless. I can't imagine the, the feeling of that. And frankly, almost a little bit of the shame that I'm feeling for my daughter's 18th birthday a week ago, just in the context of mm-hmm. trying to, there by the grace of God, go I. I mean, how does that happen? In my family, we have a family member who I don't have her permission to talk about it, but was in the foster care system and was adopted by one of my family members. And the the, the outcome for her has been a beautiful life. Mm. So just all those sliding door moments, you know, yeah. how do you process? So how can we help? Yeah, great question. Because, I mean, let's leverage up here and use our resources of... Absolutely. That's, that's what we're here to do today. Because one of the things that really got me hooked when Heidi was talking at a rehearsal was... So many people are under the false assumption that the way you help is by fostering children. And there are so many other ways to help if you're not capable of doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the big takeaway in the pregame conversation that we had yesterday Mm -hmm. was that, you know, my my only path to helping isn't providing foster care for three, four, five, six children. I'm really eager to – not that that shouldn't be a consideration. Right, if that's a possibility – However, you mentioned 50 different nonprofits that yeah. you work with in terms of the, the supporting aspect. I'm, I'm just curious if you would mind sharing different stories that come to you on how we, and I mean that in the collective sense of our community, can help. Absolutely. And I just want to first say, even speak to, I appreciate you sharing your heart's response to what was shared, because I think it's common. You said, I even feel some shame associated with that, that that's not my family's story. And I think so often... That is the case, and and so often when we see something like that, we go, we feel shame because we have some, we don't have that, and so we almost want to turn away from it because it's like, oh, like I, like, and for me that was part of my story was like I had this like intact family, and like when I like growing up, like saw something totally different across the street, and so that's what part of what got me actually started down this path. But I would just say like for us, like who have a family that's intact, who have like what we have been given is a gift. And there's no shame in that. And there's no shame in the gift you, but you have like these healthy connections. Um, and part of what we started talking about in the beginning was how that that is part of who you are is the gift that you give others and the gift that you gave Matthew. Like, and so I think that is amazing and, and, and to not allow that shame, but to say, I've been given this privilege. So what can I do with it? What can I do now? What can I do with what's in my hands? Um, because it's a gift and you have to give others now. And, and just for anybody listening to not feel like, oh, I just... Like I can't, yeah, do this foster thing or this other thing, and I and I and I feel bad now for what I have because the intention isn't to to list off these statistics or to say a sad story and then to put guilt or shame sure on anyone listening yeah um, but I feel like that's the natural I appreciate you sharing that because sure. I feel like that is so naturally how we how we receive as human beings but. Everybody has something in their hands, something that they're passionate about, something that they're doing, whether they're a business or like they're a mom, they're a stay-at-home mom, or they're mentoring, or they're whatever they're doing, they're creating, and they have an Etsy shop, and they're creating little crafts, or whatever they're doing, they're baking, you know, and my sister loves to cook, and so she was cooking a meal for a foster family once a month, and she would bring it to them, she cooks from scratch, like makes the pasta noodles, and does all the like, way better cook than I am, I have no idea, she enjoys it, I'm like, 
I don't get it. But she loves it, so it's great. And it was such a gift to this family who took in two little babies at once. And just and she would make them a birthday cake when there was a birthday in the family. And just it was a gift to my sister. And so like that was her way of using what was in her hands. She had a kitchen and a passion to cook. That's how she used her gift, right? And so yeah. like a business owner can say, hey, you know what? I own a pizza company, and I'm going to give half-off pizzas for foster families on Monday nights. Like that's how I'm going to use what's in my hand. A 16-year-old can say, I like to babysit. I'm going to use what's in my hands. I'm going to babysit for a foster family. Like, kids can do this, too. Like, or youth can do this. So it's really saying, evaluating, being intentional. You use this word intentional a lot. Mm-hmm. Being intentional with what you have and saying, what's in my hands? Because you're right, not not everybody needs to foster adopt. Like, we don't even have enough kids if everybody wanted to, right? right and so right. what we need, though, is we have families that are burning out, right, trying to rescue these kids. So we need a community who will support the families, and then the families can support the kids. So so I'd say, what's your role in that community? And then some of those people will say, listening, if there's 100 people listening, maybe two will say, hey, I want to foster or adopt. And the other 98 will say, hey, I can use this one thing that's in my hands. And maybe it's just donating a backpack for that person. And that's amazing, and that's and that's needed, and it also shows this community you're seen, you're valued, you're loved, like we are with you, because it also feels very isolating to be a foster parent. Like you're at home, you've got kids, you have trauma behavior, social worker visits, just the whole, all that's involved in it. Like what I, I meet with a lot of foster families, so I hear their stories, and a lot of it, it feels isolating and alone, and it's a lot. You're talking about that um, phrase, it feels heavy. or Yes, it's heavy. It's he- yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a heavy. So yeah. foster parenting is a heavy, and and so like when the community comes around, whether it's a backpack or a meal, and just says, "Hey, we're with you. You're not alone. I see you." Is something we all need to hear as humans. It's so significant, and so I would say, "What is in your hands?" And that's different for for each person, right? And so even you, Matthew, came up to me the first time, and you afterwards, and you were like so excited. I think it was like ten o'clock at night. We got done so late, and you were like, "I have an idea." So what I have in my hands, I was when when you <laughs> said that phrase, because that's a phrase I use. I was so jazzed. I was like, "He heard." You said, "What I have in my hands is that I do financial coaching." So what if we did coaching for foster youth? Do they have tools? Because when they're eighteen and they age out, like I'm, I'm afraid they're not going to have tools to succeed. How do we give them tools? And I thought that's exactly what I'm talking about because I'm not saying everyone needs to run out and do this new thing I'm saying don't do a new thing do a little bit with the thing you're doing leverage the thing you're doing just a little bit towards the vulnerable kids and families in your community and then the community will be totally transformed if we all just took a two percent of what we're already doing and just moved it towards those kids and families it changes everything and so and that's what you were talking about Mm -hmm. doing that's what was so uplifting and inspiring is that you got me to see, as you were telling your story, I was in my own head thinking about my own life and what I had in my hands and what mm-hmm. I was already doing, because you helped me see what I was already doing and being able to give a part of that to somebody who really, really needs it. I don't have to go out and do something different. I don't feel like this is saying yes to something that's adding so much more to my plate that I've got to learn in this learning curve. And right. it's like, this is what we're doing already. So how can we give this away? to more people, especially people in need. Well, that was just awesome. But, I mean, let's let's really pick this thing apart for a second. I mean, yeah. don't, don't you feel as though, given the educational system that exists in this country and all the financial acumen the kids graduate with today, whether it be from a school or whether it be 18, 
I mean, really, can we contribute anything to that? I mean, don't you feel as though they have enough financial education by this point? Oh, tons, <laughs> tons being provided, right? Okay, cool. Just <laughs> a, little, a little levity to help with yeah. the to help with the heavy. <laughs> with the he- yeah, with yeah. The heavy. Well, yeah. I mean, and we've talked about how some states and different municipalities are starting to up their game. Yes, we are very passionate on trying to try, trying to raise the anchor off the bottom of the pond mm. an inch on the level of financial education and preparedness yeah. that youth have. Yeah. Completely agnostic to their situation in life because frankly there's nothing. Well, you and I we had a funny conversation yesterday about your financial training and yeah. background. Would you mind just sharing that with our crew here this morning? My full financial yeah, all, all I mean, of the financial training the you financial had as a child. I, I think we have enough time for it. I don't know how long the show's going to be today, it, but... Don't spend what you do not have. Start of lesson, end of lesson. That's, that's what I was taught. And who, ta- I, who taught you that? Oh, my dad. That's beautiful. Yeah. Because that's that, awesome. That is beautiful advice. Yeah. And certainly a cornerstone, not necessarily the American way. <laughs> you, you are encouraged to spend you know, twice as much as you make. Gluttonyville. Yeah. Right? Welcome to Gluttonyville. So we're having a little, a little laugh at, at the concept of you know, the financial preparedness, but that is something we have in our hands. Yes. Yeah. And I love the, the stories that you're telling on different ways that people can help. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you had me at hello as well on the backpack drive. Like, mm-hmm. tell me when you need one of those and I'm going to do it in my community. Yeah. Because I think a lot of our very fortunate families in our community have multiple backpacks lying around that could go to better use. Yeah. And what a great way to help them be intentional with that stuff rather than just throwing it out in the garbage. Right. We're doing our Difference Makers campaign, which is like a way that we shared like 20 different ways that you can be involved in your community. Ooh. Ranging from like if you want to literally buy a gift on Amazon and have it delivered for local foster youth. So you can just click, or you can go pick one out specifically for like, this is Jeremy, he's 11, he wants a scooter, and you can go like an angel tree, like you pick it out specifically and drop it off at the office. You could do that, or you can just do the Amazon, or you can attend a Foster Care 101 online and like learn about being a foster parent or become a mentor. So it ranges from like no commitment basically to like the full commitment. And And it has 20 ways in between. And so we're trying to capture people saying, hey, if you're curious at all as to how you can get involved, here's 20 ways. And so if you go onto our website, um, defendingthecause.org, and you check that out, you can sign up for the newsletter. It's once a month, and then you'll get the information about that upcoming campaign. But that will give you tons of ideas and ways that will connect you with the nonprofits. Our email only goes out on the first of every month. We try to be really kind to your inbox. Sure. <laughs> and, and it has in our email, we have everything that our nonprofits are doing. So that way you don't have to sign up for everyone's email. You kind of get it condensed. Defendingthecause.org. Yes. One more more time? Defendingthecause.org. You've given us a lot of great ideas on how we can help, and I would imagine some of those ways would be included in that 20 different ways. Oh, absolutely. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. Okay, I would like to rewind the tape, please. Yeah. Seven, eight, 12, 14 minutes ago in the the show today, you, you made a comment that I would really like to explore. You lived across the street mm-hmm. from a family that at whatever age you were, and I'm sure you'll get into that, you recognized was at risk. Yeah. Right? Can you just share more on that story? I'm, I'm very curious to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. When I was 12, I started babysitting the two boys across the street. 
that lived across the street from me every day after school. So I'd watch them like, you know, Monday through Friday, like a nanny type situation. And then at 13, one day you like, I heard just like noise outside and I came outside and there, there was like just police cars out front and their mom was coming downstairs. They lived up two flights of stairs and um, their mom was getting arrested and just like put in cuffs, put in the back of the car. And she went away for, I think, five years. And that, yeah, that night they were left just without a mom. And I continued to watch them for the next two years, every day after school. Oh, my. And their dad worked really hard. He was a single father, you know, for the next... They Eventually, she returned home. But for that period, he was a single father and continued to work and raise them. And then eventually, she came back. Uh, but for those next two years, I was with them. And I just saw the difference of, to me, as a 13-year-old, they live across the street. I live you know, just across the street. And I did nothing to be born into a family that was intact. They did nothing to be born into a family where their mom was just like out of nowhere, boom, ripped away. Boom, like you, ripped have, out ripped you have no, just gone. And with no warning and for how long you don't know all the things, right. That go along with that. And it didn't make any sense to me. Like, why do they have, and I mean, you know, as a kid, you'd like, everything has to be fair. Right. So I'm like, this is not fair. <laughs> like, how come I have something that they don't have? Oh, and I, even though I, I was you, on the winning end of fair. You could extend that into adulthood. I know plenty of adults that think everything should, <laughs> everything be, fair. should be fair. Everything should be fair. Well, yeah. I've, <laughs> yeah. Sorry to Hopefully interrupt. we learn as adults that life just isn't fair. That's like lesson number one. <laughs> Life's not fair. But as a, yeah, as a 13 year old, I was just like, this is crazy. And so in high school, I just decided I was going to go into social work because I think, I think at that point somehow, and I don't know how that translated into foster care, but somehow it occurred to me that for a lot of kids, they don't get to stay in their family. Like kids get removed from their families. And that was mind blowing to me. If you think about it, it's just unacceptable. You're like, how? You look at your little ones and you're like, man, that's, I look at my nephews and I'm like, if you just got, like it's something I like can't even fathom. Right. It's crazy. And so you go... Just seeing that that's the case. I did my senior paper and senior project on foster care, and my thesis of my paper was basically the system is broken. I basically highlighted every every way the system has ever failed a child, which is plenty. And I was so focused, though, on the not gratitude, <laughs> on the negative that sure. I couldn't I couldn't see there was a solution. I was just so hyper focused on that. It, it's broken. It is a broken system. And I was kind of that anarchist kid, like angry, angry. justice, yeah. like burn it down. Like it yeah. is a broken system and it's failing pissed. our children. I was pissed. Yeah, I was, it is not working. Right. Clearly. Am I the only person that sees this? And so then I did. I went and majored in social work or sociology, but I worked in a group home for a few years, worked at adoptions for a few years. But really for me, down the road had to really have this awakening where I see I had to have a shift. And you said something earlier with your friend. You said that hope, when he lost hope, it was worse than death. And I think hope is the key. We have to have hope. And I think now what the difference is, is that I see hope for the system. I believe there is no reason that we don't have enough homes for kids and enough support for all the families. I believe it's more than possible. I believe we can do this. I look around and I say, we have the resources. We have the hearts. People don't know. So it's, I take it as like, okay, so then it's my job to tell them. Because right. when it's we an, know better, aware, we do it's better. It's more awareness than it is yeah. hopelessness. Yeah. Right. And so like, okay, so I will, I will expend all my energy to, to share, to inform, to educate, to give the families the tools they need. Because 
we can do this. I look around and I go, it is a, not a lack of resource. And when I, I used to think it was a lack of heart, I was, <laughs> I judged a lot. I was like, y'all just don't care then. <laughs> but then I talk to people and I meet people like you guys. And I like, as soon as we have a conversation, you're like, how can I help? Okay. People care. So it's not a lack of willingness. It's a lack of awareness. It's a lack of awareness and a lack of, so then I care, but what is my avenue? Right. What do I have to give? Right. And that's where I say, then what's in your hands? And I think that's the missing piece is okay. So now I'm aware and now I care, but who am I? And I would say, then what's in your hands? And you show me what's in your hands and I'll tell you what your part is. Collectively, there are kids. Like somebody has to take ownership of them and it's not a building. It's not like... 827C, these are humans. Every child has a name and like a future. And, you know, like we just have to, as a community, if we can find it in ourselves to take ownership and to say like these are our children and we're going to to fight for them and we won't rest until every one of them like has a home and every and every family is supported. This is what I've learned. We are created for purpose. So when I'm asking people, when I'm asking you like, hey, would you use your gifts in that way? It's actually like when you do that, you come to life. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you have purpose, and there's purpose in everybody. There's purpose in the grandma who's at home who can knit something for this foster child who is now coming to life because she is doing something with purpose. Mm -hmm. And so, like, what you're doing is asking people to step into purpose and to have purpose in their community. And so it's inviting them into relationship also, which, coming back to the beginning, is why our lives are so rich because of relationships. So it's really a win-win in my mind is that when you use what is in your hands— it's a win for the community, but it's also a win for you. You're walking in your purpose. It's giving right. you a reason to have your feet hit the floor in the morning. We talk so much yes. about that in in, a, in the completely different context relative to, you know, financial planning and retirement planning. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm very passionate with our clients that don't necessarily have a robust list of hobbies they're going to go pursue, and that this retirement concept is this imaginary finish line that all of a sudden I'm done. I think for some it's, I no longer have to contribute to society. Right. I can be a taker, not a giver. And I, I don't mean to be so dismissive of it, but, but, that's, but that's the mindset around real. it is kind of like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. I don't have any I'm more, out. I'm out. Check please. Yeah, I'm, I don't have to be responsible yeah. in the context of contributing or building, mm. right? I've done all the building I'm gonna do, I'm done now, shuffleboard, leisure suits, I'm out. Yeah. What has our experience taught us about those that continue to have their feet hit the floor in the morning with purpose? Right. It's it's the two sides of the coin, right? If you don't have a reason for your feet to hit the floor in the morning... They won't. I don't have the data to support it, but they won't. Right. You, oh, you, your, yeah, your life, Your life without purpose, I don't think, is a long one. Yeah. I love so much of what you're talking about, particularly this concept of what's in your hands. Another concept that we've talked a lot about is the law of diminishing intent. Hmm. The law of diminishing intent, if we're in the classroom, is I really want to do something about this today. I mean, come on, let's face it. One of the biggest, most recognizable law of diminishing intents is New Year's resolutions, right? We start the year. You betcha. And I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to take that exercise class. I'm going to be a yoga instructor. I'm going to get better with my finances. I'm going to get my financial house in order. I'm going to be a rock star in 2022. And it simply dissipates, right? I mean, I used to go to the gym in early January, see all new people, and by the end of January, they were gone. Yeah. The law of diminishing intent here in this context is I would like to think most people listening are like, how the heck can I help? Mm -hmm. We have put a spotlight 
on an area of life that's heavy. It doesn't have to be, like you said. There are plenty of resources available, and I love the way you say, take what's in your hands. I'm thinking of my Mm mother-in-law, who, when Emily graduated from high school, my mother-in-law made slippers in the school colors for Emily's four or five closest friends. That's so fun. Is that sweet? Yes. Right? And she did it again for Grace's friends. Yeah. And in their school colors, you know, the left one was the one school color. The right one was the other school color. But what a beautiful way, and she's got a beautiful heart and a caring soul. What a beautiful way for her to be able to make, you know, handmade little knitted slippers. I mean, you're not wearing them out. You're wearing them around the house. No, but come on. There's nothing that makes me feel a greater sense of home and security than having comfy slippers on my feet. Right. Hello. Uh, with the little, you know, the, little the yarn ball. The, yeah. bun- the, the yarn ball. <laughs> I, like I yes. love those things, right? <laughs> That's a good example of how somebody can take yeah. what's right in front of yes. them and give. And, you know, we've talked before on the show about this concept of frictionless purchasing, right? That's what Amazon has done. But I, I like to use that concept everywhere. You're, you're making this a very frictionless way mm-hmm. for someone that may be feeling as though they want to help because it's right in front of them. Like your sister, who's a cook and a baker, right? Mm-hmm. My wife and kids love to bake. Yeah. And it's been therapy for all of them for many, many years. And I have been the yeah. beneficiary <laughs> uh, of that therapy. And we got to do something about we need, that. We need yeah. new beneficiaries. Well, we we need we, thank you. Love. We need we need to update <laughs> need the beneficiaries. Con, we need contingent beneficiaries yes. on this plan. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. You know, you're such a beautiful soul and the work that you're doing is just extraordinary. I'm hoping that people are listening going, this is what's in front of me. This is what's mm-hmm. in my hands. They can go onto the the website again, which is defendingthecause.org and be able to see that little, you know, 20 ways to to mm-hmm. help out. It might spark a aha for someone. And that is the action. That's the call to action for today is as, as soon as the, the episode is over, we need to do something about this. Yeah, this is unacceptable. Because the law of diminishing intent says mm-hmm. for each day that we wait, our intent diminishes oh, exponentially. I didn't. Can you imagine I didn't finish the thought? That's I, I always got you. I got okay. the pinky out. Thank I knew you. I was full circling you on that one. But we have to do something about this today because as much as we want to do something about this, if we wait until tomorrow, the chances that we're going to do something about it diminishes incredibly. So let's do something about it right now, today, at the end of this episode. That's great. You wanted to say something, though. I just wanted to add, if somebody is like, what can I use? Like, I have this in my hands. Is this is this usable? Like, I would love to give my email address. And if they want to reach out, Please. I'm happy to have a phone call. I'm happy to talk to them and say, hey, maybe this is where you can. Or if you live in a different county, what's going on in my county? It's Heidi at DefendingTheCause.org, H-E-I-D-I. So email me. Um, I'd love to do a phone call or email, whatever it is. That would be helpful. Any way that we can help you find your fit. Because what you what you have, what you hold in your hand matters to the community. Everybody has value. You showing up adds value. And that matters. So, yeah, thank you guys for having me on here. Thank you for allowing this platform for me to share. I appreciate it. Thank you for being you. Thank you for embracing your gifts and talents and all the hard energy that you bring to young adults. Before we shut down, there was a question I wanted to ask, and I was sitting on it and sitting on it, but you were on such a riff that I did not want to interrupt. Here's my question. You mentioned very subtly, well, not so subtly, that was a ha-ha, how pissed off that whole experience made you at 13 years old Mm. when you watched the boys get taken away, almost like you went into this dark place 
where you know you're writing your senior thesis on everything <laughs> that's wrong, right? You're pointing your finger yeah. at the problem, yeah. at the program. What caused you to shift? What caused you to go from this dark, pissed off, angry place to the light of being the solution, being part of the solution, spreading the word of the solution? What happened in your life that caused that to shift? When did that shift? You picking up what I'm putting down? I am. Yeah, I was I was thinking. That's a great question. For me, it shifted because I worked still in, I worked in adoptions for a couple of years and foster care for a couple of years. For me, it has to do with, with a spiritual journey, actually. While I was working at the group home, for me, I grew up, I grew up in church, like my dad's a pastor. And so I grew oh, up cool. in church. So I'm a pastor's kid, right but on. I was definitely not the kid that wanted to go to church <laughs> growing up. <laughs> so I was that kid. I was definitely not somebody that was in the church, even though I was like in the church growing up. Right. Sure. And so... I was far from it and actually struggled with addiction to drugs and alcohol and different things like that. In your own life. In my own life. Yeah. Yeah. So I struggled with my own journey with starting at actually at that young age of 13 with drugs and alcohol and addiction. And then later in life, came out of that when I encountered the Lord. And so found freedom and healing in that space. And that's where I actually got plugged in with the church and really, for me, found a lot of just hope. And that's when hope entered my life. And so then I had hope, and then I could see hope for others. If I have no hope for me, I have no hope for you. And if I have no hope for you, I have no hope for a system, <laughs> for sure. And so for me, it came from the hope I found in the Lord. And then all of a sudden, I started to see that there's no reason that we can't do this. And so for me, it was God just changing my eyes to see. It was what, a spiritual awakening. It was a spiritual awakening. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. a spiritual awakening for me, which started with my own spiritual awakening of getting sober and really submitting to the Lord and, and then finding freedom and hope for myself and then seeing freedom and hope for others. And then that's all you want to do once you have hope is give the hope that you have to others, you know, and say like, you have hope and you look at everyone else and you just go, man, I just want you to have the hope that I have. And then over time, I just began to believe for the system that it was that's possible. awesome. We have spent some time in here talking about even within the scope of financial sobriety and my journey mm -hmm. through alcohol addiction and recovery and yeah. spending addiction and all these destructive dark behaviors that yeah. were ruining my life and how to come to the other side of the light, it really did require me to develop this belief in something much bigger than myself, hmm. whatever I understand that to be. And so just hearing your journey and how you found a connection to something bigger than yourself, for you it was through church, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's just anything that's not me, something bigger than me Yeah, that is what fills me up with hope and gratitude every day because it allows me to detach from outcomes because I'm no longer responsible for those outcomes. Mm -hmm. And all I'm responsible for is my attitude, my actions, and boy, yeah. seeing that transformation in you is beautiful, and I'm so grateful you shared that with us today. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, brother, I'm going to call it a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety, I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. 
Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.